0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Start a Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Look, people, I've been pretty upfront with this. I've dropped out of five colleges and now I'm a junior. I've mentioned that in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. I've talked about it a lot here on the podcast. And guess what? I don't let that get me down. Now, in order to support that that is okay in life, I have brought someone in to discuss that with me today today. Before we get too far, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Tesseract Ventures. Tesseract Ventures helps companies become smarter and better connected and more efficient through next generation robotics, 21st century software, and radically connected platforms. You can visit tesseractventures.io and learn more and click the link in the show notes. Really make a lot of cool stuff over there. So, do recommend doing that. Now with me today, I've got David Blake and David is the executive chairman and co-founder of Degreed. And Degreed, well, we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk a lot about what they do and how they help you upskill and maybe get past the fact that you've dropped out of five colleges on your way to being a junior. Anyway, David, welcome to Start a Puzzle.
1: Thank you very much. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Now we want, want to hear a little bit more about your backstory. So I'm just, you guys, you guys have done really well with this platform and really helping people build, you know, learning and career growth and expand on business opportunities, doing a whole lot of different stuff. But why don't we just get started with your backstory?
1: Yeah, my, my Genesis story. Uh, so yeah,
0: fighter. Um, yes, yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I the thing I point at to trace it all back was my experience coming through high school and kind of right as I was graduating and had to, in my case, I sat for the ACT. And, uh, you know, it's when I sat for the ACT, I had to go to this high school, this other high school in town in the auditorium on a Saturday morning and there's like 300 kids lined up in rows and just kind of looking left and right and just being like, what are we doing here? And just feeling like this is crazy. And, uh, you know, and so I went back and I I just started asking why, you know, which uh, as it turns out can be pretty dangerous. And so why do we do it that way? And, you know, and your teachers all know how important the SAT or ACT is to, to sort of, you know, the college process but none of my teachers could actually tell me why. They didn't know its history. They didn't know where it came from. They didn't know when it came. Um, So they know its importance, but they didn't know its history. And I was really curious with it. And so I went, and this is pre-Google. So I went to my local library and tried to find a book to answer the question. And as it turns out, um, couldn't find anything, but found a couple of other books on our history of education. And I had a dawning realization that those books, I've actually always been a good reader, but like I wasn't reading for, for, um, my normal personal interests. I mean, I was reading to try and find an answer and I was, I was reading to really try and study a topic. And I had this stunning realization. It was the first thing in my entire life I had ever actually studied that a teacher hadn't assigned to me and realized that here I was graduating from high school and I was at the top of my class, graduating top of my class. I had been turned into an excellent student, but I had failed to become a good learner. And once I realized that I kind of looked back on, on the system and what it had turned me into. And I saw myself as a product of this system and I didn't actually like it. I didn't like what it had turned me into. And kind of from that point, I, I started to, you know, I committed, I was going to be a good learner, even at the expense of being a good student. And, and that's kind of defined the rest of my life is just this quest of learning of lifelong learning.
0: So when it comes to DeGreed and, you know, you talk about right here on the homepage of your site, do you have the skills to take on tomorrow? Uh, You know, here you are a top student. Now, I admit it, I wasn't a great student, but I've always been I've been on the quest for knowledge. So at DeGreed, is your goal to try to help people find specific paths of knowledge or things that they're passionate about? Or I mean, what's what's the problem that you set out to solve? Um, other than like, you know, knowing that you are a lifelong learner yourself.
1: Yeah. So our mission at DeGreed is to jailbreak the college degree. And what we mean by that is, you know, we don't use the term jailbreak as much as when like iPhones first came out. You know, I mean, the, the term jailbreak is to take something that's been locked down and to open it up and to open it up to outside sort of, uh, use cases and, and applications and whatnot. And there's really this monopoly on the the credential, on the college degree. And so when we say to jailbreak the college degree, what we mean by that is we want every person to get credit, full credit for everything they learn, irrespective of how or where they learned it. So whether you went to college, great. You still need to be able to transact on that. Whether you didn't, you know, whether you learned on the job, whether you learned from, you know, self-taught online, whether you, you know, any which way you learn we want to be able to give you credit for it. And I think, you know, one of the crazy things about it and the, the question that led me to start Degreed was um, I became really fascinated by, I was helping to launch a university actually. So I was, I was a consultant who was engaged to help launch a university. It's mission was to be the most affordable accredited university in America. And I was helping take them through the accreditation process. And so saw up close and personal, you know, just what that looks like. and, and, I became really fascinated with this question of, of uh, education and credit, and I started asking people, tell me about your education, tell me about your education, tell me about your education. And people inevitably answer that question one way, where they went to university or that they didn't go. And that's an absurdity. And you know, we can, we can have a different conversation about the value of, of a college degree in today's world, but if I were to ask you, Matt, you know, tell me about your health and you said, oh, yeah, well, I ran a marathon 17 years ago. You know, that's an absurd way to answer for your health. And yet when I ask you, tell me about your education, you'll say, well, I dropped out of five colleges. You know, we, we are so conditioned. The only way we, we know how the only tools we have to answer for our education is relative to our experience with college where we graduated from, what we graduated in, that we dropped out or that we didn't go. And it's an absurdity. Um, And so that was the mission of DeGreed, was to give people a way to answer for your education and skills now, in real time, irrespective of of your college experience um, and irrespective of how or where you develop those skills.
0: So when it comes to degree, are you, are you, do you almost slot this under the category of experience? I know it's an educational tool and it's training and it's upskilling, but I look at like, you know, and I think you have a great point, like, Hey, how's your health? Well, I ran a marathon 17 years ago. Uh, I mean, okay. So it, it, my dad has a degree in microbiology from Notre Dame and then became a lawyer. You know, it's like the, the things weren't directly connected and you find that a whole lot. So like, you know, do you, with, with what the platform that you build, is it, is it a, let's talk a little bit about, does it get, does it help me gain experience or is it like, you know, there, I think there's a difference between doing and, and seeing in some regards, you, know, you talk about like learning how to code as opposed to looking at code and knowing it's code or, or, or what's your, what's your approach with that? Is this more experience based or is it like facts and, and understanding?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, you, you just skated across a lot of good topics there. I mean, you know, there's certainly more of a premium on skill today than there is on knowledge because, you know, Siri and Wikipedia can tell us kind of all the knowledge in the world. So, you know, it's kind of lost its premium. So then, you know, there is a premium on skills. There's a premium on what you can do, uh, more today than on what you know. And that, that changed like that, you know, in a pre-internet world, knowing things mattered, um, in an internet era, knowing things just, you know, sort of arbitraged away. Um, so the platform though, it's really ultimately agnostic. You know, we want to be able to, so first we do help people learn and we help them reflect all of their learning. And so articles, videos, books, podcasts, courses, events, you know, certificates, professional uh, development or um, designations, you know, MOOCs, massively open online courses, um, you know, apprenticeships, experiential education, really any way you can learn or, um, you know, develop skill sets, we want to be able to match you with those resources. And then when you've gone, you know, when you've when you've used those resources to learn to be able to reflect it back. And, you know, part of why we don't, you know, hey, Matt, what, you know, tell me about your education, why you don't respond with, hey, Dave, let me tell you everything I learned last year, is because learning happens so incrementally, little tidbits at a time, you know, I mean, just in the last 24 hours, think of what podcast, audio book and articles you've read, you know, and, and you can't just answer, you know, you can't tell me that just offhand. Um, but it all adds up, it adds up in our lifetime. This is one of the things the data set of degree has, has shown very clearly in our lifetime. You will learn more from books than you will from your college experience. If, if that's uh, something you did and not by a little bit, by like a lot, you'll learn like 6.5 X more from books in your lifetime as a, as a average um, person, than you will as the average college grad from your college experience. And so, you know, that stuff adds up and yet you know, so if you've learned six X more from the books you've read, than you might have from your college experience. But when I say, tell me about your education, you still tell me where you went to college. You don't tell me what books you've read. So degreed is the platform. It takes all the articles, videos, podcasts, events, all of it, your work experience, you know, your mentorship, your apprenticeships, your internships, it adds it all up and it helps translate it into the skills you've developed and gives people a very clean, simple way of answering for their skills.
0: I couldn't agree with you more and no, I always joke about the five colleges. I mean the fifth one was a was a top 10 business school. So, you know, I learned a few things that, along the way to that. I wasn't even expecting to get into it. I got into that school based on the experience that and the things and and the knowledge that I had gone out and acquired for myself, which, you know, there's a couple different paths here. Now, you know, looking back at my own story, it, it would have been easier to maybe get myself into some of that experience had I traditionally finished school the way that people did. Now I'm 45 years old, so I'm kind of on, I'm kind of on the the both sides of this. And I hear what mm-hmm. you're saying at one point. I grew, I grew up, you know, from a, I come from one of those high, everybody in my family has ladders after their name. And then there's me. You know, and uh, I mentioned my dad went to Notre Dame. I was the first uh, I was the first male in my family in three generations to not go there. I didn't even have a chance, I didn't even apply. I wouldn't get had notes, but but one of the things, you know, you you talk about experience and 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 skills versus you know, there there is something to be said about the degree, and I never want to poo-poo on it, but Uh, I mean, it definitely shows the ability to to execute a plan, to be trainable, to get after a lot of stuff. But then a lot of people get out of school, and they just that's just kind of where the learning stops. And um, you know, my firsthand experience with so much of this is at Full Scale, and that's the company that that I actually work at for my day job when I'm not uh, recording podcasts. And we employ 200 developers, where we had to build our own certification tests just to trust what they were actually were. Cause you know, we get people that show up and they're like, Hey, I have a computer science degree and I've done this and I've done that. And they're, they're terrible at what they do. And, you know, so we had to build our own, you know, our own assessments and stuff like that. How much of that has occurred to, now for those of you listening degree offers over 1500 certificates, they have 1500 certifiable skills um, I know what we went through to make to make just under thirty for our own recruitment and and certification process so i, I i'm going to literally take my hat off to you for having <laughs> the patience and discipline to get through fifteen hundred but you know how how did you begin to decide what was? What was, uh, by the way, you talk about changing my downstairs in my house right now, my kids are in virtual homeschool with my wife and I was, yeah. we were talking about the curriculum. Now, when I was in school, uh, uh, pyramids were, had mummies inside them and Pluto was still a planet. Um, and you know, none, and apparently n- none of that's true now. So some of that is, has, changed, but ha- how, how are you handling that and the ever changing Skill sets and things that people are looking at in your with your own curriculum.
1: Yeah, you, um, you know, so you referenced. Uh, Earlier on there, Notre Dame, and and you're the first, you know, kid in the family not to have letters behind your name. And, and what listeners might not know is Matt's, you know, parents were giving him a hard time. So he saw me out to come on the show and try and validate Matt, you know, to his parents that, uh, <laughs> that you can still be a, you know, a good son.
0: I get an, on, um, I get an honorary degree yeah, for having uh, the, the degree. degree guys. Oh, we hey, will give you your
1: there. honorary PhD and, and put those yeah. letters
0: behind your name for you. Um, <sighs> You know, but I mean, of course, um, ABC, that's, yeah. he didn't say what he well, I, we couldn't agree on it. what letters, yeah, but I'm getting get some, yeah.
1: It's, um, you know, and funny enough, I mean, that's, that's a, when we spend mo- money to go to college, we're buying a lot of things, you know, and, and funny enough, what we aren't, what the money isn't really going towards is the education. You know, I mean, right now you can go online and get yourself an Ivy league education for free if you are, and it's totally accessible now between edX and, and OER open educational resources and, um, the MOOCs and, and Coursera and future learn, you can go get yourself an Ivy league education for free, you know? So what are we still paying for when we go to college? Well, it's, it's a lot of things. It's the credential primarily, you know, it's alumni network, it's access to jobs, but some of it is just, you know, that making mom and dad proud. And, and, um, and we shouldn't sort of, pass over that because it's a big part of it. And, you know, there's, there's, we're so conditioned to give, um, prestige and accolade and, and congratulations. You know, when you say you get into Harvard, what is everyone's response? It's, oh, congratulations. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. when you say, Hey, I'm starting my startup. Well, you know, I can tell you what my parents' reaction was and it wasn't congratulations. You know, it was like, are you kidding me? You know? Um, and and so we've got to think about how we just treat um lifelong learning informal learning alternative you know pathways of education and skilling um because that that validation we give to formal learning but but you know withhold from informal learning you know it really has to change i think in terms of you know the skills um that we certify uh yeah i mean our approach there's there's a lot of different approaches out there and i think the world will come to recognize That certification, um, the college degree was this behemoth. It had a monopoly on credentials. And so when we think about credentials, we tend to think about the college degree and we tend to think about it in terms of, you know, helping us get our first job or two out of, you know, when we're young, early in our career. Um, But, you know, I actually think there's going to be lots of credentials in the world as we move forward. And if you think about education, you know, there's articles and there's podcasts and there's a Harvard MBA degree. And those all do very different things in your life, you know, and we're very quick to recognize that, that there's lots of modalities of education. But when we start to talk about credentials, you know, people just kind of lump it all together. And yet I think there will be, you know, as as just as there's articles and podcasts and MBA degrees, I think we'll start to see lots of different credentials. And so the degreed credential in particular is all about giving, um, helping to signal your highest level of applied mastery in a skill. And so it's evidence-based. So it's not a quiz. It's not an assessment. It's, it's mastery. It's evidence-based. So you bring forward against the skill you're trying to get certified in. You bring forward the evidence that you have mastered that skill. And, you know, we believe that's a better approach because it allows everyone to put their best foot forward to be measured by their highest level of accomplishment, rather than by their, their memorization and recall. Um, of a subject.
0: Yeah. Someone that has, that employs just under 200 people at the time of this recording, you know, I have a, I have a strong appreciation for the people that go out and, and get these kinds of certifications, whether they're degreed or wherever they're at, because you, it shows a level of character and it does, you want to hire and be involved with people that have always have a desire to improve themselves and they want to either fix their flaws, chase their passions, or just, you know, it's oftentimes both. And one of the things that I found with, with the traditional education route is there's a lack of agility that, that exists with platforms like Degreed. Like I'm looking at your site and your, uh, your top skills, user experience, design, social media, marketing, change management. I mean, some of these are, are you know, you, the product management. And these are oftentimes, oftentimes in schools, they're years behind at developing curriculum or offering the kind of things that the, the internet and the world changed so quickly now, you know, something that you might graduate. Well, I've talked to so many people they are like, well, I have a computer science degree. I'm like, cool. Are you a programmer? They're like, no, I haven't touched it in 20 years. I'm like, can you write code? They're like, nope. Wouldn't know how to do any of that now. And, you know, so there's there's something to be said about the person that is, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about keeping your the the tools in your toolbox sharp and keeping them current. And, you know, if you're showing up to a job and you've got, hey, man, I've got these stone tools, but they still cut. You know, and you're not you're not going to be as impressive as someone that that has kept that stuff modern. Now, yeah. Um, what, one thing we kind of we kind of uh, how do how do you determine when or what or how to create a skill and keep it and keep it modern and cutting edge? Like, what's your I mean, process? The, with that?
1: There's there's two forces, big shifts. Um, the half life of skills is going down. So, you know, when you went and learned, um, you know, whatever it might be, when you learned C++, I mean, sort of the the life cycle of uh, how quickly it would change, you know, was slower. And so the half-life of skills is accelerating. Um, You know, the data science of of five years ago is not the same as the data science, you know, of today. And, And that's true of just most things at this point. I mean, your Salesforce administration is not, you know, this, you know. Uh, if you haven't touched Salesforce in five years, but you were awesome at it five years ago, you can't log in and just expect to you know know what's up anymore. And the rate at which technology is scaling is now outpaced the rate at which humans can learn. And so that's, that's never happened before in the history of humanity. We have industrial revolutions, which are when technology got out in front of humanity and then humanity had to essentially catch up and, We've, we've had many uh, of those. But the difference now is that how it scales. So, you know, literally whatever it is, 20,000 Salesforce engineers can push an update that overnight, you know, whatever it is, 180 million people need to go learn something now, you know, inside the next week. So the rate at which it can scale um, is just faster. And so increasingly, everyone is going to have to learn uh, at a faster rate and getting good at being an efficient lifelong learner is a huge differentiator in your career. And one of the, you know, increasingly one of sort of the prerequisites to keeping yourself at the top of your career or keeping yourself employable. And, you know, the, one of the things we talked about just earlier was this premium on skills and, and sort of experience or the ability to, to do things rather than the ability to know things. And so one of the interesting things is when people think about a lifelong learner, historically, people talk about like being a curious person. Hey, I'm really curious. I love learning. I love learning. That means I'm a curious person. Well, you know, curiosity was the attribute that carried the highest premium when information was scarce. When information was scarce and knowledge held a premium, your curiosity, your willingness to go and find that information and assimilate and read and and, and assimilate the information held a premium. But in a world where knowledge doesn't actually give you a big advantage in your career, it's about developing skill. And developing skill is actually not all that much about being curious. Developing skill is about practice. How good are you at learning something, applying it, gathering feedback, you know, and practicing that thing. Um, And so one of the things we've learned is just, you know, being curious might make you a good academic, but it's not going to make you a highly skilled individual. And so being a good like career learner is kind of its own skill set now.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things And you know, before we move on to the second half of the show, do you believe that there's nothing more human than technology? If you do, you need to go check out what the inventors, engineers, and creatives are building over at TesseractVentures.io. They do everything from robots to flexible tech solutions for construction and beyond the Tesseract team dreams it and makes it come to life. And, you know, I, I do that. I, I, I throw a sponsor mention in there, but I watch these guys here from my hometown that are constantly evolving and building things based on the needs that different marketplaces and different stuff calls for. And, you know, and that, that constant evolution of skills and, um, you know, when it comes to to skills and what you're doing, one of the things that that I've noticed, all right, so it, it mentioned being with full scale and, and developers. So I, I see firsthand, I, OK, last year I had every person that called ask for one flavor of technology. And then a year later, they're asking for something different. I'll give you an example. Last year, everyone wanted Angular javascript front ends and this year it's react and you know it's all these different things and and you know you talk about develop we have we have developers that are i I compare professionals whether it's a developer or someone else you're you're oftentimes a swiss army knife or you're a sword and teams need both. Now, when you're out on the battlefield, you'd like to have the sword. The sword's a specialist. That's the guy that's, the guy or the gal that's like, "I've, I, this is it. This is what I do. Now, the problem is, is when you get back to camp and you need to open a can of beans, trying to do that with a sword is difficult. And you want to, at that point, now the Swiss Army knife becomes pretty valuable because you can open the can. You can uh, you maybe finally use that tool to put another loop on your belt. Like, I don't know why that's on there, but it's there and you have all these different things. So, you know, I I talk, you talk about skills. One of the things that we have really learned to appreciate at full scale is, well, in our world, we, we call it a polyglot and a polyglot is a multilingual person. If you ever had that friend that's like, yeah, I learned French last month. I'm like, really? Like, I, I, I speak English and that's it. And that's as far as it's gone. But we have found this amazing utility and demand for that multi flexible person. And, I, and what I find with them is they're always willing to try something new and learn it. And the more of these, it's skill stacking. And the more they stack up, it's almost that it gets easier for them to learn all the other ones. Is that what you find with people that are using DeGreed and the, and upskilling with your platform?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we talk about stackable skills or stackable credentials. And just, you know, part of the problem was the college degree was this binary thing. You know, you had it or you didn't. Even if, you know, you is someone who, whatever, went through five universities and said you're a junior, so you're arguably... You know somewhere between one half and two you know, and three quarters of the way through a college degree. but like you don't get seventy five percent of the the credit. you know you just don't have it. It was this binary on or off thing. And I think the future is more stackable. you know, you can uh, learn a skill and then go and learn another and add those together and and have two skills. And if you can reflect that and transact on that in your career, you know those add up and make you more valuable. and it's it's just a better approach because it means, you know, those people who are are committed to lifelong education and and skilling, you know, will hold uh, a premium um, in their ability for what they can do and what uh, opportunities it unlocks. And I think, you know, in terms of learning, you know, it's been interesting on the degree platform is, you know, I, I for lack of uh, better uh, uh, create, creative names, call them super learners. But on the platform, you know, we're able to see, um, the, the data of who is learning what across what modalities, what platforms, and, you know, there's a big cluster. There's a big sort of, uh, bell curve of, you know, who learns what and how much. And then we have these just outliers on the platform who learn, you know, sort of 10 X what everyone else learns and studying them and their habits has been just kind of a really fascinating thing. And, you know, for the most part, what sets them apart is they're good, at all the other stuff that none of the rest of us ever thought was part of learning. And what I mean by that is when you think about your education, I mean, think of middle school, think of high school, think of university. Like when you think about your education, your job was essentially, you know, the bell rings. It was to show up, you know, on time, get, you know, sit down in your seat, listen to the teacher, read the textbook, you know, answer the questions. And your job was essentially to like, listen you know, learn, assimilate, you know, and, and regurgitate that information. And that was, that was kind of it. But if you think about everything else that happened, you know, there was a school that created a syllabi for you, that created a curriculum, that sequenced what you were going to learn in what order, that, you know, had to go out there and read different books to pick which one, you know, you were going to read. And, you know, like all of those other things are work, they're work. They are work that has to be done if you're going to learn something But none of us ever had to do that work. But if you're going to be a good lifelong learner, you know, you can be the kind of person who just gets on Google and, you know, types something and then just starts swimming. But, you know, or you can be the kind of person who deliberately intentionally, you know, creates a plan, creates a syllabi, creates a curriculum, creates goals, creates structure, creates habits, you know, finds themselves a mentor, finds themselves all those other things. And those are the kind of people who are super learners. Um, you know, and they're they're terribly fascinating to see because they can just learn at a rate that's 10x, you know, faster than than any of the rest of us.
0: And that's that that polyglot type person that I mentioned because there there's an elasticity and an agility that begins to form with that. And it's like, so we have some developers that'll that'll take an assessment uh, related to a, a, a coding language that they've never even touched. And they'll get a huge score on it because they've just learned how code works. And it's, but that's not, that's from embracing that Swiss army knife approach. Okay. So you, you talked about, you know, the, the mentoring and the different stuff that, that helps us grow professionally for at degreed or you personally, who's mentored partner and or or invested in you or your business. That's really made a significant impact. And then tell me how or why.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some overlap to that Venn diagram. I mean, my mentors, my um, investors, you know, the, um, you know, in my career, Anne Duane, uh, who is a co-founder of military.com and uh, a CEO of Zinch, which is where she would be my boss, which would be acquired by Chegg, uh, now publicly traded education technology company, and now a partner at Village Global. Um, she's a venture capitalist. You know she was uh, really the the model of uh, the mentor to me early in my career, the model of, of sort of leadership and entrepreneurship that I've really sort of taken on in my career. I'd say the one adage I repeat most often from from Anne Duane is you know manage to the constraints and how quickly the constraints change is how good of a job you're doing at management. you know it's a great ethos for navigating the ambiguity of startups and entrepreneurship. you know when there's a thousand things that you kind of, you know, could be doing, there's hundreds of things you, you should be doing, you know, how do you ever pick? And it's just this adage of, you know, you manage to the constraint, well, what's the one thing that's keeping me from, you know, accomplishing what I need to, you know, and you go solve that. And then there'll be something else between you and, you know, a hundred million dollars. And so you solve that and, you know, you just sort of always identify the constraint and then you attack it. Um, you know, in terms of investors, we've got, you know, early on just uh, from, from the sort of uh, celebrity investors from Mark Cuban to, um, you know, very meaningful angels and, and Chris Iyer and Mike Leventhal, who've, who uh, do also qualify as, as kind of those mentors. Uh, we've raised now um, sort of roughly $200 million into DeGreed uh, from institutional investors, um, Al Ventures, Signal Peak Ventures, Jump Capital, GSV, um, uh, and others. And, uh, so it's, you know, we're eight years into the journey. We've been through many of the letters and financings and rounds and, um, you know, and it's, it's added up for a great group of people. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the people who resents the venture backed sort of path or route. I, I admire and respect the, the bootstrapped and, uh, other approach, but, you know, very much have a great group of people behind this business
0: you know raising capital is such a hot topic on the show and and really just in my life in general. I mean I spend all day every day talking to people that you know at, at your stage of business or or the guy or gal that's trying to get started. What's what's a little bit of wisdom or uh something from, you know, you talk about raising 200 million dollars and congratulations cuz And I don't say congratulations on the 200 million. I say congratulations on not jumping off a building to this point (laughs) because episode two of startup hustles titled getting funded sucks. And we started this podcast to just tell the real story of it. It's a, it is a nasty experience for so many. And like, even if you have the greatest platform, you're the greatest uh, founder, you've already done it. It still sucks but what are some of the things that you could, that you've learned or some advice you could pass on to someone to make it a little more palatable along the way for them?
1: Yeah. And it uh, um, I mean, it absolutely sucked for me. We were pre-revenue for about three and a half years. Fundraising in that time was exceptionally hard. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it, and it never actually really got much easier. Um, you know, I think, I've since gone on to start other businesses and being a repeat entrepreneur certainly has proven to make things easier but you know that first time around um fundraising for a degree really very hard I mean I think probably one of the most frustrating things for me was you know I I moved from middle America to Silicon Valley to to sort of you know um be out there and earn the chance to 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 operate on that stage and, you know, you're told all the investors are there to, you know, um, change the world and take big risks and take big swings and moonshots and whatnot. And, you know, for the most part, uh, most investors don't want anything to do with you until it's fully validated and fully proven and there's no risk left and, and you've already changed the world. And so, you know, I came to, to really admire and respect, you know, the, the few sincere um, investors who, you know, Deborah Quazo of, of GSV uh, Ventures, uh, who I had never met at the time, she invested on the spot. Um, the first time I met her and, you know, she did so because she had a thesis for what the world was going to look like. And when she, you know, found a startup and a entrepreneur that sort of, you know, thematically fit and had the conviction for what we were doing, you know, just in, invested there on the spot. And, um, you know, so to those investors who, who kind of truly, um, are willing to, um, you know, be out in front, uh, uh just a, a, a terrible and a mad respect, um, for that, um. I'd say, for like it or not, so much of it is is about your ability to storytell. It's about your ability to pitch. It's your about your your ability to create deal heat. It's about your ability to, um, sort of yeah, I mean, create some competition. Um, and and almost, uh, you know, I mean, call it deal heat. Call it you know putting putting investors sort of against each other and to create leverage. So much of the process, 80% of the process feels like it's about those skills, which is frustrating to me and, and was hard to sort of appreciate and realize because that has almost nothing to do with your business. You know, that has nothing to do with whether or not you're good at, you know, seeing the market and the opportunity and, and executing and and your subject matter expertise on, in my case, education and the future of work. You know, it has sort of nothing to do with that. It's its own skill set. And whether or not your business is awesome and you're awesome at running your business, you also have to learn and develop the skills of fundraising. And that was kind of hard for me to come to grips with.
0: Is that a skill that's now offered and degreed? Cause it feels like <laughs> it could or should be. <laughs> I said, yes. it, well,
1: it, it
0: But, but I, I'm, not, I'm actually not kidding. Cause the, you can't, it, it's, it's really difficult to explain what that's like until you do it and it's so humbling and look as as entrepreneurs we have a certain and founders we have a certain level of ego or maybe it's just stubbornness or blind belief in ourselves and you often walk into a room a meeting a call however it is and And it's like that implodes immediately for for many people because you've got someone i don't know you get you get it like I said until you've been in there. it's not just like an episode of shark tank people it's it's uh it's uh, a and you know i'm <laughs> I'm watching David shake his head on the video here because it's not. I yeah. mean, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very humbling experience and it's very difficult to deal with. Now, we've had, you know, we're coming up on on 500 episodes of Startup Hustle and we've been doing this for a while. And we've had a lot of people that are VCs and investors and we've asked all of them this basically the same question. Do you like to bet on the jockey or do you like the horse? And I'm like, well, I like both. I'm like, yeah, but you got to pick one. And yeah. unanimous vote on the jockey. And the, the thing is, is like a great, great ideas. And look, I don't want to cheapen this on, but great ideas are everywhere. People that can lead those great ideas to success through successful execution and get other people to believe in it. Now that is very rare. And therefore, you know, like my, like David said, you got to get in there. And it's, I I wrote this down. I love the term deal heat. Yeah. You can't have an auction with only one better people. So, you know, listen to that, get, get as many people interested. I talked to a lot of people that say, well, I I didn't get the investment. I'm I like, how many people do you talk to? They're like two. I'm like, okay, well, you're about 198 short. Yeah. You no. Know, and, and and that's the whole thing. And, and I'm curious, how many people did you have to pitch to, or or go through before you got that first dollar in? Uh,
1: I mean, you know, I probably made it. I don't know, probably 45 to 50. So the very first time I was trying to raise money, you know, I was I don't know, I was 28 when I started to greed. I was under networked. I was under resourced. I was. Um, an outsider to Silicon Valley, I hadn't graduated from a, a from a prestigious uh, university, um, so I was starting at the bottom. I mean, you have to start with the analysts and the associates, you know, and then they they pass you up to the principals who might pass you up to a partner, you know, and and then if you impress a partner, they add another partner, and eventually you you know you pitch the partners group, and you know, so it's a big funnel. I mean, at the top of my funnel was probably I don't know forty five to to sixty VCs the the very first time. Uh, Passed through sort of I made it to probably 20 um, VCs, I probably got through to I don't know, like seven or eight sort of full partner groups, which was fantastic. You know, and this was Sand Hill Road, this was the tier one VCs, and got to the sort of the back of the process where ultimately, it's kind of, you know, term sheet or no term sheet. And in my case, it, it kind of hung there. And it's a skill to get that first yes, to create that deal heat, to get someone to take, you know, lean in. Everyone always has the incentive to sort of hang back, to hang around the rim. And uh and it froze and it and and it never came together and sort of, you know, what should have been a yes or no sort of hung there for a few weeks and slowly just slowly turned into no's. Um so I would then go on to take another, I don't know, a year and a half of raising from angels. And, uh, ultimately just one person at a time, one check at a time. Um, it would add up in the end. I was able to raise a, what we call our seed financing, um, $1.8 million into the seed financing, but start to finish that, that took me two years. Um, and I don't know, I mean, ultimately by the time I got to the 1.8 million, I'm, I, mean, i would probably, I'd probably had, I don't know, 200 meetings, Um, you know, and if you break it down in terms of the numbers of hours I had spent pitching to, you know, get that far, I mean, it's a, it's immense. It's, it's hundreds of hours, you know, pitching and I got angels. And then even as we did our series, A again, the funnel and and at the back of our funnel, um, you know, I would ultimately get one term sheet, you know, it it was not competing term sheets and it was not, you know, like it just at every step it, It yeah, I've, I've been turned down. Um, most of most of my investors turned me down. Uh, not most of them. I guess a couple of them. A couple of them turned me down. You know, the first one or two times I gave them the pitch, and would eventually get on board. But like, I mean, there's there's hardly a VC um, in Silicon Valley who has not uh, turned me down multiple times.
0: You you accidentally or maybe intentionally proved my equation as being solid there. Because I, I mentioned the person that had given two pitches was 198 short. So you, you arrived at about 200 meetings there. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing. And listen up, people. That's the way it goes. It's not, you know, the, the look, someone that wanted it a lot less quit a long time before that 200th meeting. Now, Uh, Once again with me today, I've got David Blake. He's the executive chairman at DeGreed. He's co-founder of the platform. Go check it out, DeGreed.com. You can upskill and jailbreak your own degree. And look, you're in control of your own success. I mentioned like I quit a whole bunch of schools. It doesn't mean I'm unqualified. It doesn't mean I don't know anything. I mean, I learned a lot of stuff through Google and YouTube. And you know, three years ago, I'd never built anything out of wood. And I built a two-tiered massive deck on the back of my house. I learned it all from YouTube videos. I, there were times when I had to take it apart and put it back together again, that happened, but I figured it out. And, you know, there's really nothing that isn't within your grasp. If you want to get there now, for those of you that listen to the show regularly, you've heard me say that success demands payment in advance. I've yet to prove that wrong. And creating skills is about repetition. You don't find someone that just, you know, Hollywood leads you to believe that there's these people that just pick stuff up and they're experts. And if you really get to know those people, they'll tell you that a different story, they'll be like, well, I was the overnight success eight years in the making. And you know all these different things, and it just takes time. And and you know the thing is, is mastery comes from repetition. Now, hopefully, without too much repetition, I do want again want to thank Tesseract Ventures for sponsoring this episode of Startup Hustle. Tesseract brought Silicon Valley level innovation to the Midwest where I'm located, and you're out in Silicon Valley, so this is uh, this is uh, uh, very applicable. They enable businesses just like yours to defy the boundaries of space and time through next generation technologies. Visit TesseractVentures.io. You'll find a link in the show notes and you'll find a link to Degreed. Well, before we end our episodes of Startup Hustle with the Founders Freestyle, and I do want to thank you for my ABC honorary degree. So um, I'm <laughs> yeah. going to call my parents and let them know that I finally made it. My sister's a doctor and has a master's degree. So she's going to be particularly impressed with that one. Uh, but overall, like I said, we we end episodes of Startup Hustle with the Founders Freestyle. What's a little bit of just general purpose advice that you have, you've done David, congratulations on all the success with you and degree. And you've learned so many different things. What's a, what's a, what's a, uh one size fits all amount of it, a bit of advice you can give to founders and future founders.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think run your own race. It's uh, doing startups. Someone described it to me as, you know, the, our, our fight or flight system was, designed for resolution we are supposed to encounter the lion and either kill it and we're no longer in danger or it kills us and we're no you know we're dead or we run away and we get away so we're no longer in danger or or we run away and and it catches up to us and we're dead but like in all four scenarios there's resolution and you know so much of a startup feels like you're kind of like locked in a cage with a lion and you hop on its back and you're riding the thing and just trying not to let it eat you. And it is, you know, the human like body was not designed for these five, seven, 10 years of just, you know, being locked in a cage with something that could destroy you. And, you know, and it's hard. And I say, you know, the the mental health sort of side of it is, is real. and, And I'd say the, you know, one of the best, kind of just pieces of advice is, you know, is, is just run your own race. If it's, if it's your mission, your goals, your objective, you know, if it's an infinite game, sort of a la Simon Sinek, you know, you are just, you're running a race and you will get there as long as you keep sort of moving yourself forward. And, you know, to look to your left and to look to your right and to see sort of people in front and behind sort of ultimately doesn't matter. doesn't do you much good at all. Um, you know, so just set your own goals, set your own mission, run your own race and, and you'll get there in time.
0: I'm going to parlay off that for for my freestyle here and I I love run your own race and I think that's great because really in the end you know every all the opinions and input that come about your success or your progress those are just words they're words and observations and oftentimes coming from people that haven't done anything near what you have probably done I've noticed that that those firing the most arrows at uh, anything I've done or people that are not having done a lot of the stuff. And, you know, so and, and I think probably the best thing I've done for myself is about 10 years ago, I, I I, truly quit caring about all that. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't care what people think because I'm not giving you license to be a jerk. You know, you should still care about that, have character. But in the end, um, the only person that's going to make the true to determination as to whether or not you've been successful is you, and it, and you know. So people ask, well, when am I when am I successful? It's a simple answer: when you feel that you've been successful, and that's a, that's running your own race. If you're running your own race, you're going to finish first every time. Am I right?
1: Yeah, suppose so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I guess. And, and, and I I think the other thing I really enjoyed it, you describing riding the back of a lion while in a cage, just trying not to get eaten. I'm sitting here thinking, wow, that's a very, very great description (laughs) of entrepreneurship. You know, like be prepared to wake up at nine in the morning, ready to take over the world, ready to give the whole world back by noon. And then you're Mm -hmm. hoping around four or five that you're back on that upswing because, I mean, that's it. And and look, use David's story as an example. Get out there and look, if you really believe in what you're doing and you're passionate about your idea, your business and whatever. Look, it's going to take more than two meetings. It's going to take time. And the people that are going to write the checks, they want to see you fight through that. I've invested quite a bit in businesses, well over a million dollars in the last year and a half. And I love entrepreneurs with scars. Why? Because they get up off the mat. They don't quit. They're passionate about what they do. And if you're not passionate about what you do, investors and everyone else, they, we, we see it and we smell it and we feel it instantly. And those are the people that quit. Those are the people that don't make it to the 200th meeting or get through the times that are tough. And times are tough right now for a lot of people, but it's about how you react. So many great things in this episode, David, thanks for joining me. And for those of you listening, go jailbreak your own degree at DeGreed. Yep, I'll see you next time. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.
1: No one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.